Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. All right, we're looking at Revelation chapter 15. We're dealing with the whole chapter, verses 1 through 8. Next week, we'll also be dealing with the whole chapter. It's more lengthy. We'll be looking at chapter 16. Uh, I think there's about 21 verses in it. But allow me to read this passage of Scripture. Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are, ho- are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. If you remember many weeks back, uh, Something flew across and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, this is the third woe. This is the third catastrophe about to happen. We had the seven seals that Jesus broke open. And with each of those, various catastrophes happened, but they were to a limited degree. And then we had the seven trumpets. Angels blew the seven trumpets. And along with those, again, Seven catastrophes of judgment came, again, to a limited extent. In between the seven uh, seals and the seven trumpets, there was kind of a dramatic pause, uh, basically almost like we've, we've had enough, we can't handle any more, we need a, a break. But then between the seven trumpets and now, we've had a very long pause, basically chapters 12, 13, and 14. Chapters 12 and 13 really describe the resistance between God and Satan's viewpoints. There's a battle in heaven where Michael and his angels battled Satan and his angels. And Satan and his angels were expelled out of heaven for the final time. And then we see this vision on earth where Satan is at the seashore. And out of the sea comes a beast who is the Antichrist. And then we see descriptions of him and then a beast comes out of the earth who is the false prophet and this forms what I call the unholy trinity Satan tries to be God but he isn't he's an anti-God 
Then the Antichrist, you know, tries to be like Christ, but he is not. And then the false prophet basically tries to fill the role like the Holy Spirit. He points people towards the Antichrist, just like the Holy Spirit points people to Christ. And so we look at those two chapters, chapters 12 and 13, and see this battle between God and Satan. And the, uh, really chapter 13 is more from Satan's uh, viewpoint with the beast coming up out of the sea and the earth. Then we turn to uh, chapter 14 and we see the events of the tribulation from God's viewpoint where Jesus and the 144,000 are gathered at Mount, Mount Zion. And then we see angelic messages of the gospel and then the call for not only Jesus but also another angel to reap the earth in judgment. So that brings us to what we see as the seven bowls. I think some... Uh, Translations use the word bile, but bowl is uh, pretty much the going away. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you, the bowls that were given were not deep bowls. They were not, you know, deep bowls. They were almost more like a saucer is the description. And basically it means that you would fling out the contents. It's not like you would have to turn it upside down and pour. It would just be like you could fling out the contents. And notice that the angels already had the seven plagues. So when they receive the seven bowls, it is kind of like, okay, here's your instrument to distribute the plagues that you have already received. So we look at verse 1. The very first part says, Then I saw another sign in heaven. So again, if you look at the entire book of Revelation, it is filled with visions. John has been given visions by God while he's exiled on the Isle of Patmos. These visions assure God's people that his judgment against all those who reject him and those who have persecuted his people is inevitable. Uh, this vision returns to heaven after witnessing Jesus and the 144,000 angels and the angels on earth. And this vision in heaven is called great and marvelous. And why is it great and marvelous? Well, again, it's pointing back towards God. And we're going to see two uh, songs of praise and before we get through with this. But at the same time, John is actually witnessing worship in heaven. So the second part of verse 1 says, Seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. So John is seeing seven angels. And he basically knows that these seven angels each have a plague. And with those plagues, they will deal with judgment. And he says, these are the last. And we know that because we've studied, uh, read Revelation before. We know that these seven judgments will be the end. And it even says, because in them the wrath of God is finished. That is one of the key things. This is the last. This is the end. There will be no more judgments. There will be no more catastrophes. There will be no more sevens uh, that will take place after this. And so we look at, again, the book of Revelation is filled with references to angels. These are God's faithful messengers to do what God desires them to do. And not all of them have good jobs. Matter of fact, most angels have very difficult jobs. They are sent to earth to give messages to people. Sometimes those messages are good, like, behold, Mary, you're going to be, uh, you're, you're well loved by God, and you will be 
given the responsibility of bringing his son into the earth. Now, I guess that's good. She was kind of flabbergasted. She didn't know what to do. But sometimes angels have more difficult things. Another example of good message is the angel sitting on top of the stone. When Jesus, when the women come to Jesus' tomb, they say, I know why you're here. You're looking for the Messiah, but he is not here. He is risen. Go find his disciples and tell them what you've seen. So these seven angels will be used to administer God's judgment, these seven plagues. And if you've already read ahead of any, chapter 16, you will find out these judgments happen very fast. In an instant. This is not going to be a, some long drawn out uh, time of judgment. These will be devastating plagues. They'll be very similar to some that we saw in the book of Exodus uh, when God placed them against Egypt. But again, these plagues are seen as the last. There will be no more. And so these angelic judgments are coming. And we're just seeing kind of a foretaste in chapter 15. So looking at verses 2 through 4, we see worship in heaven. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who have been victorious over the beast and his image, and the number of his hands standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. Well, let's stop there for just a second and decide who are these people. Well, first of all, where is this? Well, we are in heaven and the sea of glass or the sea of crystal are oftentimes used, especially by the prophets, when they are given a vision of heaven. They will see a sea of glass or a sea of crystal. And this is a kind of a picture of this clear, beautiful you know, description of heaven. And he says and it's mixed with fire. Now, you've got to understand what's happening right now. God's wrath is about to be poured out upon the people. So the fire represents God's wrath in preparation for what's about to take place. Okay, now who are these people? And there are those who have been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass. These are the martyrs. These are the ones who have died under persecution during the tribulation, specifically the great tribulation. And it says they are holding harps of God. Well, there's other pictures of harps being used, even in Revelation. The four living creatures all had harps and used them in worship. But throughout the Old Testament, harps were used in, in the uh, desire to worship God. David played a harp to soothe Saul's spirits many times, and many of the psalms that David wrote would go, he would sing them by the use of a harp. Now, when you hear the word harp, you, you, you kind of picture this huge thing that somebody has to sit down and lean back to and play. That's not what this is. This is really a lyre, which is a handheld. It's something that you kind of hold cradled in your arm and you, you could strum it you know, back and forth like this. So the technical term would be more of a lyre, but uh, the word that's used most often in the, in the Bible is the word harp. Why do they need a harp? Well, look at verses uh, 3 and 4. And they sang the song of Moses, who is the bondservant of God. And they sang the song of the Lamb. 
And then we basically hear what they were singing. Now, if you sing the Song of Moses, basically you have to go back to Exodus and you look at when the people of Israel had escaped Egypt. They had passed through the Red Sea and then they turned back and looked and watched the walls collapse in on the Egyptian army. And then they broke out in the song of worship. That was called the Song of Moses. It was a song of celebration of God's deliverance and guidance and protection. And then the Song of the Lamb. Well, actually, we have already heard that in Revelation. Let's go back to uh, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. And what we see is that the four living creatures and the 24 elders sang this song. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So basically, if you look at those two songs and you kind of mesh them together, I believe what verses 4 uh Really, the last half of verse 3 and verse 4 is kind of a blending of those two songs together because it, it focuses on the great and mighty, marvelous works of God, the Lord Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways. He is the King of all nations, just like we are seeing in this Song of the Lamb. And who will not fear our God, the God that is spoken of in both of these passages, is the God of deliverance. A God of protection. So who will fear? And our God and his name is glorious. For he alone is holy. And then it says again. For all the nations will come and worship before him. Just like it says um, in verse 10 of what I just read. You have made them by, to be a kingdom of priests. Uh, going back to verse 9. Uh, the last part of it. And you purchased for God with your, your blood men of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now, it says here that uh, all will call, come and worship you. Well, how about the ones who are rejecting Jesus? Well, there's another passage of scripture that says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the heavens, on the earth, and under the earth. When the judgment finally comes, those who are separated eternally will know that Jesus is real. And even they will be forced to admit that. And so we look and we see that this is a song of praise, by, primarily being sung by those who have been saved by the blood of Christ, who stood firm who said, I will not take the mark of the beast, just like it says in verse 2. Those who were victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, they were standing on the sea. That means that they had been taken away from this heaven, I mean, uh, from the earth, primarily because they had died a martyr's death, and now they stand before the throne of God. And that's our victory. There's a wonderful passage that says, Blessed are the, those who die in the Lord. And it also says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
And so that's our hope, that's our glory, that's our knowing that this is the picture of what takes place. They had died on earth, a martyr's death, a persecution. Now they stand in the presence of God in heaven. And so we look and we see, verse 5, After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open. Now, you got to understand there's this duality going on in these visions. There is a temple with all of its furnishings in heaven that John is seeing as a vision, and it is mirrored on earth by the temple that's being re- that's rebuilt during the tribulation. The temple that's rebuilt on the earth, we don't know exactly the dimensions and everything, but it will probably be at least to the uh, to the specifications of the original temple. Whether it's the same as Solomon's temple or Herod's temple, we don't know. But it will have the same, it'll still have the, the altar, it will still have the, the, the incense, it will still have the Holy of Holies and all these things. Well, when it says, and after these things, I looked and there in the temple, the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open. Well, the tabernacle of testimony in the temple basically refers to the Holy of Holies. That was the small area that was blocked off in the temple by the huge veil. No one could enter into the Holy of Holies except for the high priest. And he could do it one day of the year on that day of atonement where he would go in and sprinkle the blood on the altar, uh, on the, on the uh, Ark of the Covenant, on the corners of it, as a way of saying, you know, we are sacrificing the blood for the sins of the people. And he was only able to do that one time a year, and it was a very special occasion. He had to make sure that he was fully righteous in order to enter into the Holy of Holies. Now, I've heard this many times. I don't know you know, where there's evidence of this, but I've heard that they would tie a rope to his foot so that if he got in there and died because he was not worthy to enter, they could drag him out. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Anyhow, that was a one-time thing. But here what we see is that that is open. And John is seeing the open Holy of Holies. But what he sees next is what comes out of the Holy of Holies. And that is seven angels picking up with verse 6. From the temple came the final seven angels. Uh, look at verse 6. It says, And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, bright, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. Now, the bright linen and the golden sashes are the pictures of the priest. So these angels were basically filling the role of a high priest. They were the go-between between us and God. And so now God is using them for this final act of judgment. So their bright, clean uh, tunics and their golden sashes is, represents their holiness and their purity and that they are fit to be used by God for this purpose. Then we look at verse 7. It talks about the seven bowls. Then one, one of the four living creatures, we don't know which one, 
But one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Now, if you look back at verse 1, it says the seven angels who had seven plagues. So the angels already had the seven plagues, but they could not distribute those plagues until God gave them the method for distribution. Here in verse 7, God gives them the means or the method of distribution, the bowl. And basically, like I said, the bowl would be shallow and the, the plagues that they would have would be emptied into those bowls and cast out to wherever uh, their, their plague was to be. And we'll get into how those plagues were distributed next week. So we look and we see they already had the seven plagues. The bowls here are shallow, and they are simply the means of distribu- distributing these plagues. And again, they represent God's wrath that is coming for this ultimate conclusion. Again, verse 1 says, and this is the last, and then God's wrath is finished. So we're looking at a very close to the end time. And what we will deal with now forward I mean, in one chapter, in very quick succession, all these seven plagues will come out upon the earth. And we'll cover all of them next week. And then we're going to be dealing with the Babylon. Then we'll be dealing with the Lamb of God coming. And y'all know what happens after that. The victory comes. And so we look and we see that these seven plagues represent God's wrath. And they are coming very soon. And when they come, that will be the end. Then the last verse, verse 8. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels was finished. Now, the smoke and a cloud both often represent the presence of God. The smoke and the cloud. Okay. Do you all remember the Israelites? traveling around in the wilderness. They had a pillar of fire at night to guide them and a pillar of cloud by day to guide them. Smoke and cloud. Presence of God. When later on when God commanded them to build a tabernacle, they built the tabernacle. When it was complete, God's presence came in a cloud or like smoke. The Shekinah glory of God came in their presence and entered into the tabernacle. The same thing happened when the temple in Jerusalem was dedicated. The smoke or the cloud of, of the Lord came and entered. But then it says here that the smoke of the glory of God also represents his power. So again, John does not see a face of God, but he sees the presence of God. For no man ever sees God. But he sees the presence of God in the smoke that fills the temple. And he knows that this represents the glory of God and the power of God. Then it says that no one can re-enter, go back into the temple, until the seven plagues by the seven angels are finished. In other words, one of the angels can't say, you know, I don't think I'm up to this. I think I'll go back to heaven, go back into the temple. He won't be able to get in. Nobody can get in until the final plagues have taken place. So we look and we see that no one can enter. 
And while there may still be a chance on earth for people's hearts to turn, what we're going to see next week is that there's very little, if any, evidence that that takes place. And here's the reason why. From the very first of the tribulation, after the church has been snatched away in the rapture, okay, the world is void of the witness until God sends his 144 witnesses that he seals at the beginning of the tribulation. And from everything I understand, those 144,000 make it all the way through the tribulation. They are protected. During the first half of the tribulation, God also sends his two witnesses. They are witnesses of the gospel. Now, we also know that they do not go through the second half of the tribulation because they... The, the beast comes out and kills them, slays them in the, in the openness, leaves their bodies there for four days, and then they are resurrected and taken back into heaven with the Lord. Then we also know that there is an angel flying in mid-heaven, and he gave the glory, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, as a witness. Those who did receive salvation were also witnesses upon the earth. So... It's not like they did not have an opportunity to come to salvation. The simple fact is that they rejected all of these opportunities. And the picture is they had hardened their hearts. Now, that's one of those things we wonder. God himself says, I have hardened Pharaoh's heart. Did he harden Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the people of Israel go? Or did he know Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he says, I'm going to make sure that he doesn't waver, that he's going to let me do my work of salvation by bringing my people out. Now, hardened hearts are those who refuse to hear the truth. They've already made up their mind. They have chosen... uh, well, the scripture is pretty, pretty obvious that if you have taken the number of the beast, his name, and had it on your right hand or on your forehead, you are doomed. You have made your choice. You have resisted and you have taken the mark of the beast and your eternity is already set and it's an eternity of damnation. But if there are those who are still alive, who have not taken the mark of the beast, they still have an opportunity. But what we're going to see next week is that there's no evidence that any comes salvation during these seven plagues. But God has been patient throughout history. I think I've read this several times through our study. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so we know that God is giving everybody another chance. Otherwise, why go through this? Why not just let Jesus come and wipe out all the enemies? So there has to be an opportunity still given for God's mercy and grace to be received. So it's a time of judgment. And that time of judgment is inevitable all throughout the book of Revelation. If you go back to Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they have borne. 
And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood and those who dwell on the earth? So from the beginning of the tribulation, or from the earlier parts of Revelation, we have seen the glimpses towards the end. We have seen the end result of those who died a martyr's death. They are now at the throne of God, and they are crying out, How much longer, O Lord, how much longer before we have this opportunity to see your judgment and vengeance upon those who have come against us? And so we look and we see that this cry from God's people has been going up. It's been going up for all of eternity. The prophets, many of them cried out to God, God, why, oh, why are you allowing me to be persecuted as faithful as I am to preach your word? And we've seen that throughout the generations. But God's people throughout history have faced persecution. Many have died a martyr's death. It's still happening today. There are millions of people each year proclaiming Christ in their own corner of the world who are being persecuted, thrown in jail, thrown into hard labor camps, and who are being murdered, executed for their faith. But God is patient, and he is merciful, and he's going to give all people as many opportunities to receive the gospel. But then their rejection brings ultimate judgment. So... We need to continue to pray for the lost around us. We need to see, Lord, how can I be used by you? And that can be in so many ways. Personally, sharing the gospel, sharing your own personal testimony. I shared Sunday morning about the teachable moments, even with children, of being able to share simple truths of the gospel. And guess what? There's teachable moments where you can be with somebody and, and interject your faith in God, by what you see, by what took place. You know, you can, you can be around somebody and you have just gotten good news that somebody in your family has been healed of a disease and you can shout hallelujah. You can say, it my God great. He has brought health, restored health to my loved one. I mean, so many ways that we can share Christ. Invite them to church. Invite them to your home. Invite them to opportunities where you can share with them your love. So we just need to pray that God continues to open up ways for others to come under conviction through us, through the hearing of the the gospel, and so then that the Holy Spirit can draw them unto salvation. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we know that there is a day of judgment coming. Lord, we're thankful that we have this assurance that we will not go through that time of judgment. Or we will be judged, but in a different way. We'll be judged according to our faithfulness to you, our obedience to your will for our lives. So, Lord, here and now, help us to surrender anew to you, allowing you to be Lord of our lives, for your Holy Spirit to guide us in everything that we say and do, think and desire, how we minister to the needs and others. And, Lord, the greatest need others have is a personal relationship with you as Savior and Lord. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the truths of your word. Lord, may we also be the message of warning for those who continue to reject Jesus as Savior and Lord. Help us to share with them that there is a judgment to come that they will have to face. 
Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your presence in our hearts and lives. Guide us and use us in whatever ways you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.